Testing, testing. One, two, three, 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 three. We're back. Not the back of the bus or the back of the lack, but back in the recording booth at Backlick Cinema, the podcast. I'm your host, Zoe, that's Z-O or Z-O, to the cinema fans overseas. It's the 94th episode. Thank you for downloading or streaming. We really appreciate it. We're going to take back a look back at the movies of yesteryear and talk about the movie we love to watch from the 70s, 80s, and early 90s, and maybe we'll hit the 2000s. Please take the time out to offer some support by giving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast app and share our show on social media. Now, before we get started, let's have a word from Beth and Kirsten from Made for TV Movie Podcast. If you need to find them, just give them a goog at hashtag MFVMC Podcast and you will hit all of their links. You you will get a cornucopia of Beth and Kirsten and the Made for TV Movie Podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Beth. And I'm Kirsten. And we are the hosts of the Made for TV Movie Club Podcast. Beth, we've been friends for a long time. We sure have, Case, since before Rachel kissed Ross for the first time. It's true. And since we share a love of all things TV, we decided to team up to review our favorite TV movies from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You don't need to watch the movie. We did that for you. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, including Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Deezer, and iHeartRadio. And find us on our socials. Join us in our Facebook group, Made for TV Movie Club Podcast. Follow us on Insta at made underscore four underscore TV underscore movie underscore club. Tweet us at TV Movie Club Pod one. Or give us a Google at hashtag TV podcast and you'll find us. We'll see you soon in, in the, the clubhouse. And now we're back. Now we were supposed to have a guest, but life happened and I had to improvise. Hopefully, we will do The Karate Kid at a later time. But for now, we have Equilibrium. So let's talk about this movie, Equilibrium, the movie that I watched yesterday. In a future world, a strict regime has eliminated war by suppressing emotions. Books, art, and music are strictly forbidden. And feeling is a crime punishable by death. The Grammaton cleric Preston, played by Christian Bale, is a top-ranking government agent responsible for destroying those who resist the rules. When he misses a dose of prosium, the mind-altering drug that hinders emotion, Preston, who has trained to enforce the strict laws of the new regime, suddenly becomes the only person capable of overthrowing it. And uh, that little ditty was written anonymously anonymously and posted to imdb i really like that description of the movie it was released december 6 2002 produced by dimension films and blue tulip productions it grossed over one million two hundred thousand dollars in the u.s and canada and over five million dollars worldwide on a 20 million dollar budget and it did not have so great reviews it had bad reviews let's that's just call a spade a spade. <laughs> but I can't help but I truly love this movie. This movie, to me, when I saw it, was awesome. And I find it to be endlessly rewatchable. 
And I will explain that to you as I talk about the movie. Now, this movie was starring Christian Bale as senior Grammaton cleric John Preston. You've seen him in Vice, Ford versus Ferrari, Thor, Love and Thunder was his his latest project. It also stars Ty Diggs as Grammaton cleric Andrew Brandt. He's been in The Wood, The Best Man, and lately he's been in the TV show All-American. Emily Blotson plays Mary O'Brien. She's been in The Book Book Thief, Everest, and Chernobyl. Sean Bean, he plays senior Grammaton cleric Errol Partridge, and he's been in Troy, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and Snowpiercer, the TV show. And obviously, you probably know him from Game of Thrones, the first season. Sean Pertwee. Oh, hold on. Let me, let me try to say that name again. Sean Pertwee. It's probably still wrong. Sincere apologies. But anyway, he plays father. You've probably seen him in Toy Soldiers, Event Horizon. And the thing I remember seeing him from is Gotham, the TV show. William Fitchner, he plays Jurgen. You've seen him in Crash, Armageddon, and Black Hawk Down. Angus McFadden plays Vice Counsel DuPont. He's been in Braveheart. <laughs> I'm sorry, let me say that again. It, it sounded like I said Braveheart. He's been in Braveheart, Saw 3, and lately he's been in Superman and Lois, the the nice TV show. It's a really nice TV show. Go check it out. And finally, we have Matthew Harbour. He plays Robbie Preston. He's been in Two Summers and The Velveteen Rabbit. He's basically is a child actor who basically decided not to continue to pursue acting. So he's in, he, you'll very rarely see him, but he's, he's haunting in this movie. This was directed by Kurt Wimmer. He's directed Children of the Corn, the 2020 version, Ultraviolet, and One Tough Bastard. And uh, the thing about Kurt Wimmer, he, he's in love with remakes and, and reimagining of previous films. So uh, as for his writing, he also wrote this movie and his writing credits also include Point Break from 2015, Total Recall from 2012, and an original movie, Law-Abiding Citizen. Is it derived from an early work? Considering that he's involved, that's very likely. <laughs> so the music is by Claus Bedelt. He ha- he's a composer with 88 composer credits to his name. And he's mainly, uh, I, fr- I didn't really research what country he's from, but he mainly uh, does music for the country that he's from. For, for those movies but for um the u.s he's written music for tmnt constantine and premonition so uh that's it for the opening credits and if you're enjoying the show please remember that you can get t-shirts hoodies mugs face masks jerseys and more at our website backlickcinema.com slash shop and christmas will be on us before you know it so order something nice for your loved ones and your friends. And I've got a couple of new designs out, so check them out. And um, I think that you'll like them. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it is, because I, I worked in this, and I, I really like this 
design. So I'm really into the show Andor. Andor is a very impactful show. And one of the things that they did in Andor was they had uh, basically a phrase or that one of the characters lived by. And the phrase goes, the axe forgets, but the tree remembers. So I was like, oh, wow, I like that. I like that's cool. I like what it says. So the axe, the thing that caused harm, he forgets. He doesn't, he doesn't know how, the axe doesn't know how many trees it's cut down, how many trees it's harmed. The axe doesn't know. But a tree that's been damaged by an axe, the tree remembers. He, he remembers getting hurt. <laughs> and it kind of reminds me of the movie Street Fighter. Uh, the thing about Street Fighter is that it was a terrible, it was a terrible movie, but it had a really nice scene. It has a scene in that movie that really sticks with me. So in that's in the movie, yeah, Raul Julia, Julia, Raul Julia. I forgot how to pronounce his name. Anyway, he plays Bison, and Ming Na Wen plays Chung Li. So there's an exchange between Bison and Chung Li, and Chung Li is angry at Bison because she says that you know he killed, he he came, his armies came into her village and and slaughtered her village and slaughtered her family, slaughtered her parents. And Bison says something like, the day that Bison graced your village was the greatest day in your life. But for me, it was a Tuesday, right? So he's been out and about like causing damage to everyone, everything that's around him. He is the axe and Chung Li is the tree that remembers. And so... That that is the shirt that I put out because it was so impactful to me. It basically the shirt is called The Tree Remember. So go check that out at the site, backlickcinema.com slash shop. And uh it would make a nice Christmas gift. It's a I got it as a shirt, a hoodie, and a mug so far, and I'll put out more designs later on. And I got some more new designs out there. So that's it for the announcements. Um now we're going to talk about our favorite parts. First of all, I want to start off by saying that this movie is very reminiscent of the matrix as a matter of fact i would say it's derivative of the matrix they they borrowed a lot of elements from the matrix obviously when the matrix came out it kind of changed the game in cinema and the influence of the matrix was so strong that it even impacted commercials and and major league sports like the national football league actually used some of the camera techniques that was pioneered in the matrix and i don't know if they still do that but i know when the matrix first came out the nfl was like oh man we gotta try that so that that's how impactful that the matrix was and then you had a lot of films that were derivative of the matrix by a greater or a lesser degree and this film equilibrium was impacted by a greater degree um it was like the the closest copy to the matrix that has ever come out Uh, it it could almost be a sequel to the matrix it it is that close so um the premise is is somewhat different but um the it still has to deal with the 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 themes are very similar so um i actually 
that's one of the things I liked about it. It's like after seeing the Matrix, I wanted more Matrix. And we weren't and we I, I don't I can't remember the order. Like I don't know if Equilibrium came out like before or after the Matrix 2, but I remember wanting more Matrix and I was willing to watch other movies that were similarly themed, uh, had a similar uh had similar themes and it had a similar look to it, and delved into martial arts. And that that's what I was going to accept. So um, Equilibrium was one of those movies. Now, obviously, it's not as good as The Matrix, but I still thoroughly enjoy it. So it starts off a little bit differently. It has a preamble, like uh, a lot of movies that deal with science fiction. But so um, there, there's two ways you can go. You can have a voiceover or you can have like like a voiceover like in... Um, Dune, like the original Dune, or you can have a crawl, like in Star Wars, they have that crawl that you read in silence while the music is bombastic and playing before the story starts. But this this movie starts off with a little bit of both. It's a voiceover with a text that every once in a while goes across the screen, presumably to emphasize certain phrases and points that the that their voiceover is trying to bring across and it, it looks really cool and basically has scenes of what it's describing. So in this movie, it's the near future and um, world war three has happened and the survivors of world war three decided that this can't ever happen again. Cause it's like the, the human race barely survives. So the survivor of world war three get together, form a country and it's basically um, ruled by a totalitarian regime who has decided that uh, emotions or anything that evokes emotion should be illegal because emotion leads to war. That's basically the conclusion. If you have an emotion, then you're going to have war and war leads to World War III and that and World War III leads to wiping out almost all life on the planet. So we should avoid that. So we're going to cut our emotions. So they basically have a extremely ordered society where every basically your only job is to go to work where your only your your exist your whole existence subsists of going to work is it's like there's no art there's no music your only purpose of life is to go to whatever humdrum job that you have and then come home and and go to sleep i guess because you can't do anything like the the closest thing that you have to uh there there are two things that you have besides your job that that um grants any sort of i don't know uh, that that could be slightly considered art so one is uh is a form of martial arts called the gun kata you're allowed to practice that but only certain people are allowed to do it so you have to be a member of the government and you have to be a high-ranking member in order to be privileged to learn that and the other thing you can do is you can procreate to create a family because you still have to, to, so human society needs to continue. So you're allowed to procreate, but you, you got to do it without emotion. So I can't imagine what that must be like to, to, uh, to perform these actions, to, to perform what we call lovemaking and to be able to do it, but have no emotion about it. So that those are the, those are the two things you can do because, or, Perhaps eating, but I can't imagine there being any flavor in the food if you're not allowed 
artistic expression. You're not allowed to experience emotion. So you wouldn't be allowed to have food that would evoke any particular emotion other than the satisfaction of having eaten. So <laughs> that that is the, the society that is built in this movie. So that's, uh, and that's kind of explained the preamble. So one of the things I like about it is that the movie opens with action. It's like, it's action-packed. And basically the purpose of establishing the action, a lot of action movies have the establishing action scene. So this action scene is designed to show how awesome the protagonist is at his, whatever his given talent is. So like if you're the best at a particular talent, especially in an action movie in law enforcement, or if you're a spy or if you're a soldier, they're going to give you that beginning action scene. So in this one, the uh the main protagonist is what where they have uh these high ranking special agents. So you have the regular police and you have special agents and is uh the agents are called clerics because they treat their government as almost a religious organization. And I'll get into more on that later. So um so because it's kind of a, a religious organization, they're called clerics and the protagonist is a senior cleric so he's a senior grammaton cleric and his name is john preston and he's played by christian bale so and and this it kind of starts off like the matrix right it, it's reminding you the matrix off the break so basically uh you have some people that's hold up in this hidden location outside the city limits doing some illegal stuff which is basically consuming art appreciating art you know like reading books admiring paintings listening to music all of this is illegal so they're, they're in there doing that thing and they they have a horde of illegal stuff in their uh on the premises so they are that's what they're doing um and then they see the police come and so now they got they're going to barricade in their hideout and they're going to fight the police off so that they, so that they can continue to appreciate their art which is now illegal. So you got a horde of police come in and you know, there's a huge gun battle and then, um, and then the special agents arrive and the special agents are going to do their special agent thing. So this is reminiscent of the beginning of the matrix where you have the regular police come and they're tracing Trinity and, um, and then the special agents that you don't even know what agency that they're from. Cause like, they don't say they're from the FBI or the CIA or the, uh, they they don't say that they're marshals. They they don't identify themselves really. They just uh they're just recognized as special agents and the agents come to deal with the situation that the police can't. So that it it's it's very the only difference is that in this case the 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 agents in the matrix are, are the bad guys and they stay bad. They're gonna be bad for the entire film. But in this movie the agent comes in. They're they're not necessarily the bad guys. They're just performing a function. They're just enforcing the law because they're not necessarily bad. It's the the system that is bad, and they're essentially agents of the system. So they're going there doing their job. Their their job is to, um, as far as they're concerned, these people are doing some illegal stuff. And so they need to be stopped, but they've already fired on police. So now they need to be taken down. They need to be uh, neutralized. And usually that means they need to be killed. So 
<laughs> so the the police are it's not necessarily more than the police can handle, but the the agents come there because uh to presumably minimize loss the loss minimize the loss of life. Ah, I got that out. So they go in there and um so they got special skills, they got special training. So what the police did, so all of the the illegal people, the the people doing illegal stuff, the criminals, let's call them that. Let's call them the criminals because technically that's what they are. The criminals are holed up in their, in a single room, which is problematic. Like if you're going to have a secret hideout, why? And you know that you might eventually be found. Why not have a, a secret way out? That's So that's kind of a bummer that they didn't think of that because they... They had to have known that they was going to get discovered eventually. But anyways, so now they're in this room. The only way out, they only have one way out and the agents are on the other side. Uh, so the police basically, uh, I don't know what they, they put charges on the door. I, they surround the door. I'm not exactly sure why. I thought they was going to blow the door with explosives, but they don't. They just kind of stand at the door. And usually when the police are standing at the door, you open it and they go in and they kind of shoot up the place that way but that's not exactly what they're doing they're just basically standing at the door and then uh cleric press john preston he runs and kicks through the door and as soon and the, the room is pitch black and um i know he he had asked the agents to shoot out the lights in the hallway as soon as he goes to the door and so that's what happens and so now so they had sh- they shoot at him the 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 guys in the room, they they start shooting at Preston, but they don't hit Preston, and which is which is kind of wild. Well, actually, there's two things wild about that. If you're surrounding a single person, you don't want to shoot at that person if you know that there's somebody, one of your good one one of your comrades on the other side of that person, because you might hit the person that's on the other side. Um, so. If you're, it's kind of hard to shoot at somebody that you are surrounding. So that, that's problematic, but that's kind of what happens. They, they all kind of shoot at Preston and they, they don't hit him. They, they miss. And then there's total darkness. They're not sure if they actually hit him or not. So they're just, it's completely quiet. And the next thing you know, Preston is firing at them. He's firing at these weird angles. He's firing with two guns. He's like over his shoulder, under his arm. Is is all these crazy? It looks awesome. It, it's crazy and it's ridiculous and it's unrealistic, but it looks awesome. And this is the gun kata that is talked about that I talked about earlier. So he's using these martial arts moves with his guns, and you because it's pitch black. The only you only see him when his muzzle flashes so he's is like vogue like madonna vogue he's in different fashion poses shooting at people in different directions and by the time he's done everybody in the room is dead and he's just kind of standing around and then they uh and it, it just it's impactful to me it just it's, it's fun it's fun that's that's why i like it i like it because it's fun and then they look around the room and they they find all the illegal stuff and then they uh Preston has like these instincts and his instincts tells him that uh the real good illegal stuff is under this fancy rug. So they move the rug and they pull the floorboards up and it's the Mona Lisa, the authentic original Mona Lisa. They have a handheld device that can tell them that whether a piece of work is an original. So they find it and they burn it. 
Um, it's funny because I always, I always thought that the Mona. It, it seemed like uh, quite a large version of the Mona Lisa for what to be of the original. I always got the impression that was kind of a small painting. And the other thing about it was that uh, it. <laughs> It, the, the Mona Lisa is important to us now, but it wasn't that big of a deal for a long time. It was just one of many paintings that was created by Leonardo da Vinci. What made it famous, what made it uh, prestigious was that it was uh, it was stolen and it was stolen from an art museum. And then after it was eventually recovered. And because of the drama surrounding the theft and recovery of the Mona Lisa, that's what gave it its fame. Not not that it was a particularly good painting. It was just one of many, not even particularly big painting, that was created by Michelangelo. But anyways, they find a Mona Lisa and they burn it because that's what they do. They they burn everything that might elicit emotion. And uh, they killed everybody, so there's nobody to bring in for questioning. But it, it's during this scene where it's what I liked is also is that it, the movie starts very off to start sending its message. So after this, it's uh, uh, the senior Grammaton cleric, um, John Preston, is accompanied by his partner, who is also a senior Grammaton cleric named Errol Partridge. And um, John notices that Errol has a contraband in his pocket. And he says, why didn't you just give that to the the team so they can categorize it or whatever they do? And and Errol says, he gives the excuse, the excuse that, you know, they miss things sometimes. So I'm going to take it in personally. And then uh, that, you know, you know where this is going. That doesn't happen. This is Sean Bean we're talking about. When's the, how, how often does he survive to the end of the movie? Not not very, not not very. When When Sean Bean is cast in a movie, you can be sure that the movie is spoiled. You, he, they told you that he doesn't make it to the end of the movie. Well, there, I will say that there, there have been a few movies that he did make it all the way to the end of, but uh, or he might make it to the end of the first season. Like he doesn't often die in the middle of the movie. He normally dies at the end. So that that tells you what's ha- that that'll tell you what happens to him to him in uh, in almost any given movie that he's that he has chosen to be a part of it it's almost like he's chosen these parts on on uh, on purpose he's like i've i've perfected my death scene so i i'd like to do this role you want the lead role it's like no no i want the role where i die i've, I've perfected my death face i guess i guess he's perfected his death face uh, I'm I'm not sure why why that happens. Another thing that I found interesting about the movie is that um, so when John has a family, he goes home. He has a son and he has a daughter. His his wife turned out to be a criminal. The specific crime that most people are accused of is being a sense offender, which means that they allowed themselves to feel emotion. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this society is control well, control isn't the right word but anyways uh basically everybody in society has agreed to take this drug called prosium and prosium deadens the emotion so everybody is supposed to be essentially emotionless so um 
when John's wife died, this, this is his backstory. You know, he felt no emotion about it. She was a, a sense offender. She was arrested by the police and she was taken and she was executed. And John felt no emotion about it because he was on that prosim and he was a cleric. He was, I think his, he was a basic rank cleric at the time that this happened. And his children also had no emotion about it because they were also on the prosium. You basically start, you start on prosium from a very young age. You basically, you really don't even get a chance to feel emotion. <laughs> so, uh, so the, the thing that's impactful is that, you know, John is home and his, his son is first addressing him by his proper name. You know, he says, Hey John, what are you doing? <laughs> his, and his son is always questioning him on what he's doing. Like if he's a, uh, he he'll he drops something, and his son's like, "What are you doing?" And it's like, "Oh, I just I just dropped this thing over here. I just <laughs> I just it's it's no big deal. Relax. I'm glad I'm glad you're uh I'm glad you're paying attention." Or it's uh one time his son asked him, "I saw a friend of mine crying. Should I report him?" And his father was like, "Is almost hesitant, but he's like, yes, of course, of course you should. You of course you should report him." Um, and then later on, you, you find out that that's kind of a test. So his daughter doesn't really say much of anything, but it, it's more like his son is really almost he's almost fearful of, of his son because because his son is demanding and always asking questions. Um, so one of the things that happened is that he uh, every at specific times, I guess you got to You got to take a dose uh like two or three times a day. So John is trying to put in his uh dose of prosium. They have like a like a, a needle not a needle gun. It, it's basically a needle. What how am I say like a hypodermic needle, but it's it's the shape of a gun. So it's shaped like a gun because you keep the doses in the handle. So you open up the handle, you take out the dose, you then you put the dose in almost like a cartridge into the needle part and then you press it to your neck and you squeeze you give yourself the dose and that now you're you'll have a few more hours of not feeling anything so in a process of taking out this dose and putting it in the needle um john drops his and it splashes and and it's done and and uh his son was like so you're going to um what are you doing? And he's like, and John was like, I just, I just dropped my prosium. It's like, well, you're going to go to headquarters. And you're going to get some more. Right. And, and yeah, John is like, yeah, of course I am. But it's like, and that, and in that it, it's almost like you can see the fear that John has of his son. So, um, but, but kind of getting ahead and jumping to the sun. So the other, the other part is I had alluded to Sean Beam's eventual demise. That was a neat part because it kind of sets off the themes of the movie. So I had mentioned that he had gotten a book and he was supposed to turn it in. And John figures out that his friend, the cleric Partridge did not turn the book in. And so now they, he, he takes a team to go looking for cleric Partridge played by Sean Beam. And then they they find him out outside the city reading his book that he had gotten, you know, contraband. And this book is like part of the themes. It's a book of poetry and he's reading it. And um, of course, John has to bring him in. 
and um, the cleric, you know, Arrow has indicated that he is not going to go peacefully. So John ends up shooting him through the book, like the uh, Arrow holds the book in front of his face, and John shoots him through the book in the face. It's it's a it's a nice scene. It looks really nice, but basically something happened where uh, Arrow was had stopped taking his prosium and has allowed himself to feel he had become a sense offender he is being moved by poetry and music and um so he was basically he was going to be in prison but instead of going to prison you know he he pretended like he was going to shoot john and or, or something like that like he had his gun on his lap and he was kind of reaching for his gun john saw that he was reaching for his gun and then shot him that's basically how that happened right and but because at that time john was still on the prosium so he felt nothing about it and then pretty much right after he eliminated his partner his partner was replaced by Gramatine cleric andrew brandt played by Ty Diggs and Ty even he also does not have any emotion but he smiles a lot that's that's his way of uh talking to people it, it's like it's one of those oh I don't know if you can hear that but it's a motorcycle outside anyways uh it his his smile is deceptive it, it's a way of conning people so his his smile is a con so anyways uh it he's also in, in a way looking for weaknesses and he's ambitious he wants to climb up the ranks of the organization and he when he first meets when he first meets uh cleric john preston he's like you know i'm gonna make my career career with you and later learn he's he's gonna make his career any way he can either by sucking up to john preston or by trying to take him down or or some some other thing wh- whatever way that he can do it so <laughs> so i kind of like the machinations that this this movie introduces so i mentioned earlier that john had gotten off the juice he had he had spilled his prosium dose at home and his son was like what you doing and he says you know i'm gonna you, you better go and replace that as you know at the headquarters and John was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to replace that. And, um, but when he goes there to replace his dose, that the place is actually closed. So he doesn't get a replace. So now he's gone way longer without taking his dose than probably he ever has in his life. But he's still able to maintain the veneer of being emotionless. But the problem is that the closest thing that person that he has ever been to was his uh partner the cleric arrow partridge so he's feeling the effects of having killed him and it's bothering him and um uh, lots of things are starting to bother him even though he's trying to maintain this veneer there's a point where he's trying well like he goes to his desk everybody's desk is absolutely identical because that's part of the program is being identical is like to shed your individuality that's why everybody's wearing the same clothes. All the women have the same hairstyle. No woman is actually me- uh, wearing makeup that's that's in the society. Only the criminals wear makeup. Only the criminals wear their hair in a different hairstyle. The men have only slightly different hairstyle. It's, it's either a part or it's like John's hair, which is slicked back. But Or even there's a, a vice cleric 
and his hair is kind of like regular, but I guess the men are allowed to have slightly different hairstyle, but all the women have all the exact same hairstyle. <laughs> so he starts investigating his friend that, that he had executed and um, trying to find like why he basically, why he got decided to get off the, the dose. And it's fun that that's another kind of funny thing because they, they, they'll confront criminals. And one of the things they'll say is like, how long you been off the dose is like the exact opposite of how long you've been, how, how much, how long you've been dosing, how, why, why you've been dosing up. But that that's what they say in, in the reverse type of cop movie. But in this cop movie is like, how long you been off the dose? So he's looking for, so he's looking for reasons why his partner would get off the dose. And in his investigation, he finds, a woman named Mary, Mary O'Brien, they go and uh, try to arrest Mary O'Brien, uh, played by Emily Watson. And but he has his partner with him, and in the arrest, they're 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 trying to kill her. What? That in the arrest, they're like you know that the vice cleric or the father, which is the head of the society, had issue orders that like from now on they're not even going to give out trials. They're just gonna they're just gonna execute them on the spot they're, they're giving the clerics the authority to just execute them on the spot even though john tries to question this the his his immediate supervisor is vice counsel dupont and he tells him like well this is the director from the father and the father is like the president or the czar or the head of society well this is the director from the father and the father says you you we're not just execute them on site so he was basically supposed to, when he finds Mary, he's supposed to execute him, but he's like, no, she might have some information. So instead of doing the executing her, he takes her in and tries to question her because she's connected to his partner. And the other thing, the other fallout is that it is kind of messed up is that because he's feeling emotions now, he's starting to fall in love with her because she looks so much like his wife did. First, he starts feeling the emotion of his wife's execution. And now he's feeling a connection to this woman who is the ex-lover of his partner. It gets messed up. It's it's messy, which I kind of liked. One of the things I really liked was Christian Bale's portrayal of him feeling his emotions. Like, yeah, he's been emotionless and now he's feeling all of the emotions he's there's a point where uh he's like crying at everything uh he's he his apartment has a window and the window is covered with film now presumably this is to prevent people from looking out at the cityscape because even though the cityscape is as bland as you can possibly make it as it's supposed to look bland and industrialized but even that people might find joy in it so because people might find joy in this bland, industrialized looking cityscape, all of their windows are covered with this film. So John, while, while he's feeling all of these emotions, uh, he puts his hand on the window and a little bit of film comes off. And so now he takes off all the film. He looks out into the cityscape and, you know, he starts crying because he's feeling these emotions and then uh you know he starts breaking down and feeling these emotions at at all times uh you know and then at one time he totally breaks down in public where he's confronted by his partner his new partner um Grammaton Andrew Brandt uh the played by Ty Diggs again and <laughs> Ty Diggs decides to bring him in 
for uh to arrest. So they they bring he brings Preston and Preston does some sort of switcheroo and instead Brant gets accused of being a sense offender sense offender. Now this switcheroo situation, even though it looks and sounds neat, the the logic of how it happened kind of breaks apart a little bit, probably a lot, depending on your mileage and how you tolerate these types of things. And that's probably one of the reasons why a lot of people didn't like it. But nevertheless, there there's a switcheroo and Brant gets uh, accused. And because Grant is accused and they, and like, I guess the leadership and the council had felt that there was some kind of leak in the clerics and they decided that Brant was a leak. And so because Brant brought the leak, they decide to give Preston like basically uh, a reward of some type. They, they they basically say, name your reward. And Preston says, I want to meet the father. Now, I didn't mention all of this because he's, <laughs> but basically um, in, in the mean, before all of this happens, uh, Preston had basically got into the resistance who was trying to bring down the, uh, the organization, the, the government, they're trying to bring down the government so that people can feel feelings again and appreciate art and and all those sorts of things. And basically their harebrained scheme is to blow up the prosium plants or the the distribute the prosium distribution centers. And then when people start feeling emotions again, because they'll they'll be without their prosium to suppress their emotions, then the people then they the resistance will lead a popular revolt and then they'll have us uh, a different government. A, a different government that will allow them to feel feelings. It doesn't, presumably because this is an American movie, presumably that would be a democratic government, but could, it could easily, just as easily be a monarchy or a theocracy. It could be any type of government. They don't care as long as they're allowed to feel emotions because the the fear is that feeling emotions would lead to war. Like they all believe that this will happen, that feeling emotions would lead to war. Cause remember these are the survivors of world war three, but the resistance has decided that war is worth the risk. Like this living, trying to live life without emotion or trying to live life, you know, without any kind of individuality is really not worth living. They rather risk war than to continue living this way. And that's another there, that's another thing that people can see as a plot hole because because here's their harebrained scheme. They they already have the bombs at the Prosium distribution centers, but they, what they want Preston to do is to kill the father. The father is leader of the government. They want him to find some find some kind of way to get close to the father to kill him, and then after they're able to broadcast his death, then they will then they will blow up the prosium plants. And after they blow up the prosium plants, then they could uh have start up a, a popular revolt. But the reason that this plan is is kind of messed up is that they they already have the bombs in place. All they have to do is blow up the prosium plants because once people start feeling feelings, then they will probably decide on their own not to not to continue the living the way they were. They don't need to execute the father. They already have uh, blew up the prosium plant because everybody is on prosium. The, the police is on prosium. The um, the clerics on prosium. Everybody who's enforcing the law, except for maybe the council members, are on prosium. Um, a side note, the, 
name of the council is the the Tetragrammaton Council, and uh, that that'll be important later on. I'll mention more of it in the trivia. This episode is coming out later than I wanted because I fell into a rabbit hole of in- investigating the origins of the word Tetragrammaton, and it it it's uh it's interesting. I'll I'll get into that later. But anyways, um, so the council has decided uh that they probably don't need to uh be on prosium <laughs> but pretty much everybody else is so um they they could just they could just do that they don't they don't need to to kill the father but that they felt like that was the push that they needed so and and the cleric uh a cleric such as John Preston could achieve that and basically um some kind of way it, it worked uh that well it, it leads to the the climax of, of the movie which is another one of my favorite parts so in in the climax of the movie he is uh he asked to see the father and they were like nobody has seen sees the father he hasn't seen anybody in decades now it's not that nobody's ever seen the father. He's always on these big screen televisions preaching the philosophy of society. He's constantly on screen. You see him on screen all the time uh, outside in, in your house because you don't have regular TV in your house. You just have him on television telling you that this way of life is the best way of life and it should never change forever and ever. But um, no, he hasn't seen, he hasn't had an audience. He, nobody has seen him personally, but he said, well, this is what I want. And so they decided, okay, we're, we're going to take you to the father. Now, what's interesting is that most, most of authority on the, in the movie, they're all dressed in black, like Preston. And this is another inspiration from the matrix, but uh, all the clerics like Preston are dressed in black. The police force are all dressed in like black leather with motorcycle helmets in it which looks ridiculous, but it, it works on some level. So everybody is uh, dressed down in black, but because Preston is given this huge honor, he's going, he's going to be dressed in white. So he has his white suit with his white ceremonial sword. And he's allowed, he's going to be allowed to see the father now, because now, <laughs> Because he's going to go and uh, see the father, he has to take off his ceremonial samurai sword. So he does that. And then they decide to give him uh, basically a polygraph test because a polygraph test can sense emotions. It's not, it won't necessarily find out if you're telling the truth, but it can sense emotion. So they hook him up to the test and his, the graph is going crazy because he's feeling all of this emotion. And... <laughs> And they said, "Yeah, we got you. Uh, it was a, it's actually a double double cross." So, his partner, Cleric Brandt, is not actually arrested. He's actually part of the plan to capture him. That they, they've suspected John Preston for a long time of being a sense offender, and now they've got him. They they got him where they want him, and so it was like, "Ha ha, John, we have you." And John is is hooked up to this. Uh, machine and that's where the graph is going crazy and there's also vice council dupont so vice council dupont is basically a member of the tetragrammaton council and he is uh 
he reveals that he has taken the father's place a long time ago. Like the father died decades ago. And so the council decided that to maintain the facade of having the father as leader by playing these videos of him all over the place, where in the meantime, the vice council DuPont is actually taking the place of the father and he's making all of the orders and, and directing at directing society pretending pretending to be the father so it's him that's saying yeah we got you we knew somebody was a rat turns out we think that you're the rat and we're going to execute you you're done and we did it without incident which is what i like because it says we've done all of this without incident and next thing you know the graph on the lie detector stops it's like, even though he's still connected to the lie detector, it stops moving in just a straight line. Like, he, now he's straight, no emotion. And he says, no, not without incident. And then he proceeds to just take out everybody in the room, except for this one doctor, for some reason. Because the doctor is not uh, a warrior and didn't do anything to him. So he kills everybody but the doctor. And then he goes into another room, and then he does his gun kata stuff and, and kills everybody. No, or does he kill him with a sword? I can't remember. I think he kills everybody with a sword. And 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 then next thing you know, the only thing left in the room is the vice council and uh his his former partner, Cleric Brandt, Cleric Andrew Brandt and Cleric Andrew Brandt, he's all he's kind of what's the word I'm looking for? He's kind of arrogant. And he's like, he's he's wearing his slick black uniform. And he says, mind the suit. And he selects a samurai sword because for some reason, this office, they're, they're in the vice council's office. And it's filled with art. Like, it's art everywhere. Like, so he's the ultimate hypocrite. Because as I mentioned earlier, they don't, the, the clerics don't, not the clerics, but the, the council don't feel that they have to abide by the rule. They just feel like they impose those rules on everybody else while they live in luxury. They have all the art. They have all the books. They have all the movies. They got everything. And they're living high. And he's got these ceremonial, uh, you know, uh, beautifully decorated samurai swords all over his uh, office. So Grant, or Brant, I should say, selects one of these swords. And he's going to do battle because that that's the weapon that... um that John Preston has. He has a samurai sword. So he thinks that there's going to be a battle and he thinks that he has a chance because they were battling with sticks before. And it seemed that Brent like really beat the crap out of John Preston with these sticks. So I guess he felt that, well, if I can beat him with sticks, I can beat him with a sword. But as it turns out, apparently not all weapons are the same. And, and uh Preston is way better with the samurai sword than he ever was with with the baton or the bat or whatever that weapon they used was called. And um basically they I guess they were supposed to be like kendo sticks, but they were not sticks. Uh, but they weren't kendo sticks. But anyways, Brant goes on guard. Like he's so he's ready to strike. But before he can even make a move, John Preston does a couple of cuts and Brant is done. So you don't really see where he cuts, but he's cut in his stomach and he's cut on his head somewhere. So the first thing that happened is that Brant falls to his, the body, Brant's body falls to his knees. And then he kind of turns his head to the side and his face slides off of his head. Like, cause so 
<laughs> so his face had his head had sort of been cut in half. It wasn't bisected horizontally. It was basically bisected vertically from the top of his head to the bottom of his chin. So his face had basically slid off of his head. So that was that was a beautiful ending to to that man. And and uh and so then and then the the at that climax. Now you got two no, no, during most of the movie when you see any of the clerics do the gun kata, specifically John, since he's basically the only one you see doing it in action. It's it's usually somebody who's proficient at gun kata against people who have no idea what gun kata is. They basically use martial arts move with the weapon. And like not even the police force know how to do gun kata. So there are a lot of times when he's fighting the police force, these action scenes are awesome. If if fantastic. <laughs> that he's so he's fighting his police force and they don't they have no idea how to take him down because he's just doing all of this stuff where he's shooting the gun under his arm and over his shoulder and he's always double fisted and, and he's like he carries guns and under his sleeve. He also carries reloads under his sleeve. It's crazy. And they have no idea how to deal with this. But this is a scene where now you have two guys that know gun kata. And it's it's fantastical and ridiculous. And it's so fun to watch. So they're really close together. They're trying to punch and shoot each other in the face. But they but they at the same time they're blocking each other from shooting them in the face. So it, it's just fun to watch. It's like it's almost like some kind of martial arts and and shooting in the face simultaneously they're, they're doing the same thing so eventually Preston gets the upper hand and disarms the vice council and so the vice council is is kind of you know he's kind of standing there it's like come on now I'm a, I'm a man I live I, I breathe I eat I, you wouldn't kill that would you and of, of course Preston would kill that and and that's basically the end of the movie you know he kills the vice council he destroys the propaganda stuff that has the projections of the long dead father preaching uh his uh what you call it his philosophy and so these screens go blank and then when it's when those screens and projections go blank that's when you see the explosions in the background of the of uh, the prosium distribution centers and and that's the end of the movie and then the uh the populace rise up, the the resistance, and it happens immediately. Like the the resistance immediately starts attacking the police station. They don't even wait a couple of days for the populace to get off of Prosium and decide they don't need the police, or or the police decide they they don't need to be policing because they're off of Prosium too. This is they uh, resistance immediately goes into attack mode, and the re- the revolution begins. And so it's really the beginning of the fight for freedom not freedom itself. And and that's another church. I'm, I'm glad they didn't end the movie with, and everything was okay. No, it, it's just the beginning of more violence. And, and that's in a movie. And, you know, it was just, I know that this movie has story problems and plot holes and logic issues, but it, I just, I think it was the action that got me and the, and the message that it was trying to convey, you know, is basically, the the George Orwell 1984 message that it was trying to convey. I I appreciate it, even though it was poorly communicated. I appreciate the effort, while not just doing an action movie and not being a blatant 
copy of the matrix even though it's basically the closest copy of the matrix you can watch without actually watching the matrix and in my opinion actually better than any of the matrix sequels like it's not as good as the matrix but better than any of the matrix sequels <laughs> and, and when, when i watch it i just okay it, it might be neck and neck with uh the second matrix movie or better but that that's that's how i feel about it but in anyways no no i'm gonna it doesn't have this weird shower scene it doesn't have the weird shower scene in the matrix is it called matrix revolutions i can't remember the second matrix movie has a weird shower uh dance shower scene and and equilibrium doesn't have that so that puts equilibrium on top um and yeah i I guess those are those are the things that i liked about equilibrium so that's it for my favorite parts of the movie and up next we are going to talk about the trivia from imdb And now we're here to talk about the trivia from IMDb. And so let me start with this one. This film takes place in 2072. So I guess that's somewhere in the story or the film notes. They don't actually say this blatantly in the film, but I guess if you dig in the uh in the extras, there it may have been some something on the DVD that that had mentioned this factoid. The use of the drugs to suppress the undesired emotions, behaviors, and a repre- and a represent <laughs> I'm having problems saying this. The use of drugs to suppress undesired emotions, behaviors, and repressive society are similar themes found in George Lucas's THX 1138 from 1971. Emily Watson's character is named Mary O'Brien. Her last name is a possible reference to the prominent character O'Brien from George Orwell's famous novel, 1984, which shows similar themes about repressing emotions and government surveillance. Despite popular belief, absolutely no wires were used in the film at all. All of the gravity-defying stunts were done through conventional means. For example, the backflip off the motorcycle was done with a trampoline. Two different actresses played Preston's wife. The condemnation archive footage was filmed first and featured Alexa Summer. However, when it was time to film the scene where she was arrested, she could not be found. Maria Pia Calzone had to take her place. As a result, there are two separate credits. Summer is credited as Viviana Preston, while Maria Pia Calzone is credited as Preston's wife, even though they were supposed to be the same character. Originally, the drug Prosium was named Librium, hence the term People of Libria, as often referred throughout the film. However, Librium turns out to be a registered trade name for an anti-anxiety drug, chlorodizapoxid. Hold on, let me try this again. 
chlorodizepoxide. The name was quickly changed to prosium as a sly combination of prosiac and valium, which both have calming effects. During the course of the film, the violence becomes progressively more graphic. In early scenes, it's almost PG, with no blood visible despite people being riddled with bullets. As the movie progresses, blood starts spilling, and by the end, single bullets will spill large volumes of blood. This has the effect of increasing the emotional effect of each act of violence from relatively low at the movie's outset to high by the movie's conclusion. It would seem intended that the viewer would grow an emotional sensitivity to the violence just as the main character does. The Kindle-type swords used during the sparring scene were designed especially for the film and were turned wood, which broke quite easily during filming because Christian Bale and Ty Diggs were really whacking each other with them. Writer and director Kurt Wimmer invented the martial arts style of gunfighting for this movie in his backyard. Wimmer had originally wanted Christian Bale for the lead role as senior Cramaton cleric John Preston after seeing him in American Cycle in 2000. Bale was not available at the time, so he considered Dominic Purcell for the role. Ultimately, Bale came available and Purcell was cast as Seamus, the Renaissance fighter, in the opening of the film instead. The pistol whip fight scene, John Preston and the officers took only 30 minutes to film. So this is an interesting scene where John Preston is kind of surrounded by these police officers and he's basically being found out as i mentioned before he starts feeling emotions he starts doing irrational stuff and then the police realize that he's he's a sense offender and they start to take him down but then he uh his he transforms his his guns his pistols into uh a more effective pistol whipping device so instead of shooting them he flips his guns around and starts pistol whipping the police officers. And um, cause they got these little protrusions that come out of the end of the pistol grip that I guess supposed to scratch and rake the, the faces and, and the body parts of the men that, that he's pistol whipping. But the curious thing is that he doesn't kill them. So that, you know, it kind of creates another plot hole. Cause like these men are going to wake up and they're going to accuse Preston of beating them up. But um, it, the movie doesn't really address this. So um, I had alluded earlier that uh, I had planned for this episode to come out like earlier. And I got caught into a rabbit hole because, and the source of the rabbit hole was the Tetragrammaton. So the Tetragrammaton is the name of the government in this movie. And it the the movie is led by the Tetragrammaton Council and the Tetragrammaton Council is led by the father. So the Tetragrammaton is translated as word with four letters from Greek, I believe. So um, the symbol of the government is basically reminiscent of the uh, swastika from Nazi Germany where instead of the the four angled 
the four angles that are arranged in a weird plus shape. They have the the tetragrammaton symbol is basically a uh, a T sign that looks kind of like a spokes of the wheel. So if you can imagine four T's arranged in a spokes of the wheel, where the bottom of the letter is point uh, is pointed at the center of the wheel of the or the circle, that is the symbol of the the government and it's basically uh the black letters on a white circle that has a black border on a red background like so reminiscent of the symbols of nazi germany they're really trying to trying to uh evoke that idea of a repressive government so they use when when trying to impress you with those ideas they they usually reach for symbols of nazi germany so um when referring to in in regular language when people talk about the tetragrammaton they're really talking about um the word that is used in judaism in reference to the name of god so in english letters it would be y-h-w-h and in Hebrew, it's Yod He Wah He or uh, Yod He Hua He. Um, and I, I think I pronounced that correctly. I'm not exactly sure. But anyway, it's the, the four letters um, that represent the name of God. Uh, the story goes that they uh, use the letters because they didn't want to use the vowels because they don't want to say the name of God. And that that's why that's why you see that represented in um in the King James Version, um, when God meets Moses, that is how God introduces himself to Moses. And when it's translated to English, it is um I am who I am. That's what it kind of translates to. Anyway, that's the rabbit hole that I dug myself into. And and I'm apologize for dragging you into that hole. So moving right along, some of the tank-like vehicles seen driving along the streets are, in fact, white painted airport tugs, the kinds used for pushing very large aircraft, such as 747s, which is very interesting because they look like military vehicles, <laughs> and I, I'm surprised that they're not. Although he actually drives a car in several scenes, Ty Diggs didn't know how to drive at the time of filming, most likely due to his New York City background. And that being that there are a lot of people in New York City that don't seek out a driver's license because it's it's so unnecessary. Like uh, even back when this movie was made, it's like taxis and subways were extremely accessible. And a lot of times it was way easier to, to use the subway system instead of trying to you know, get into traffic and drive a car. It's like most of traffic are taxis and people in their personal cars. Why would you put yourself to that when you can just take the subway? The poem that Partridge reads in the church is, He Wishes for the Clothes of Heaven by William Butler Yeats, published in a collection, The Wind Among the Reeds, published in 1899. And the poem goes as follows. I'm, I'm going to mess this poem up because I'm not someone who reads poetry, but I'm doing it. I'm doing it here, doing it now. Poetry on Backlick Cinema, the podcast. Had I the heavens 
embroidered cloth, and wroth with gold and silver lights, the blue and the dim and the dark cloths of night and light and the half-light, I would spread the cloths under your feet. But I, being poor, have only my dreams. I have spread my dreams under your feet. Tread softly, because you tread on my dreams. There you go. Did I mess it up? Yes, it's a little messed up. That's It's all right. Uh, as I said, poetry is not something that I'm particularly skilled at. Up next, the pistols used by the Grammaton clerics are Beretta 95Fs, not the Beretta M93Rs, as some believe. Converted to fully automatic firing, many other modifications were made, including giving the guns longer barrels and modified slides, top part shell ejection, and adding a compressed compensator to the barrel, non-firing versions of the pistols were given selector switches. When the gun was fired, the muzzle flash formed the tetragrammaton cross symbol, an effect added in post-production. What's interesting is that that is one thing that they predicted about the future that came true is that you, there are people right now that are converting semi-automatic weapons, uh, pistols and well, I don't know necessarily pistols, but certainly rifles, rifles and uh, and and smaller guns. They're converting them from semi-automatic to fully automatic weapons. <laughs> and I've seen this on the news. They actually mention in rap in in rap songs, and I think it's called a switch, or or something like that. And you put this this little plastic piece. You're able to insert this plastic piece into your your semi-automatic gun and you can fire at full auto and uh that that's a problem but that's something that this movie predicted so there you go so finally i have uh this last piece of trivia the film's fight choreographer jim ramos vickers and kurt wimmer the director had some slight disagreement on how the martial art gun kata should be performed on screen you can see little friendly jabs to the choreographer in the film when kurt hammer when kurt wimmer performs the gun kata at the beginning you see it's very fluid and smooth the way it's actually used in the film is very rigid with a few flowing moves thrown in also in angus mcfadden's speech to the clerics in training he says each fluid position slightly stressing the word fluid Wimmer wanted Gunkata to be smooth and soft-styled. Vickers, trained in hard-style karate, among other things, modified the original Gunkata slightly and became a budgetary, and because of budgetary restraints, that's the version that we see in the film. Wimmer has said his own version of Gunkata can be seen in most of its glory in his next film, Ultraviolet, which came out in 2008. 2006 which also flopped at the box office which is probably why he hasn't really directed a movie since he's gone back to writing movies because his movies don't make money and when you when you put out a couple of flops in a row i mean they they flopped hard that's the problem they flopped so hard and the funny thing is i like ultraviolet too i really enjoy watching ultraviolet (laughs) but 
<laughs> but unfortunately, it flopped hard, and that basic basically kind of ended his director's aspiration. I mean, he didn't even get kicked back to television. He went straight back to writing. Um, so that's that's it for the uh, what do you call this section? That's it for the trivia presented by IMDb. And now, in our next section, we'll talk about what the critics thought. And now, we're going to talk about what the critics thought. The critics gave it a 40%. An audience score was 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. IMDb, IMDb reviews gave it a 7.3 out of 10, which is interesting because it kind of mirrors the audience reaction on Rotten Tomatoes. It it doesn't have a low audience score on IMDb either. So I think it's just one of those movies that the audience liked way more than the critics. It didn't get that much play at the box office apparently because it didn't receive a wide release. But um and that's a shame. That that's really a shame. I, I don't think that the producers gave this movie much of a chance at the box office. But at any rate um, let's let's see what the critics have to say. We have Nathan Rabin from the AV Club. He wrote, though ultimately silly, equilibrium shopworm, shopworn, but stylish synthesis of ammo and ideas is surprisingly engrossing. Um, yes, I agree. I yes, yes. I, all of that feels correct to me. Uh, Maitland McNana from TV Guide wrote, it's hard not to feel You've just watched a feature-length video game with some really heavy backstory. You know what? This received uh this is scored as a, a rotten tomato, this particular review, but you know what? She's not wrong. She's she's not wrong. It it is kind of like that. Yeah, I think that this would make, if done correctly, this would make a great video game. Imagine doing like a gun kata in a video game. That would be fascinating. I as a matter of fact, if you played Bayonetta. That that kind of gives you the feeling of Gunkata or Devil May Cry. That that also has a feeling of Gunkata. So up next we have Betty Jo Tucker from Real Talk. She wrote, or oh, it's called Real Talk Real, like the movie Real. Real Talk movie movie reviews. She wrote, Equilibrium succeeds primarily because of Christian Bale's uncanny ability to project the awakening soul of the character he portrays. And I think that's absolutely correct. It, the, that When he starts to feel his emotion, going from being emotionless to start feeling emotion, and the process of hiding the fact that he's feeling emotions, I think all that works wonderfully. James Rucci from Netflix wrote, Derivative dystopia is a muddled, maudlin, and laughable mess with a few nice fight scenes to break up the failure. And you know what? I don't I don't think he's wrong. There there are a lot of times when people will write what is basically a negative review and they'll reveal some truths about the movie or they'll it's it's one thing or another. It, they'll either like totally trash the movie and say a bunch of unkind things about the movie and I often disagree with those or that it's um a bad review but they'll reveal some truths about the movie. And and I can't argue with him. I mean they use I think that he's right in this, even though it's basically a bad review. I have to say, yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he has the right of it. He's not wrong. And finally, we have Jeff Andrew from Time Out. He wrote, 
you can rant at me for hours all the reasons it suck or it sucks and i probably agree with most of them but the point is i had fun and i had to add this review because this is exactly how i feel about this movie is it's exactly how I feel. It's like, I know that it's got some issues and complications, but I, I, I really enjoyed it and I can't get past my enjoyment. I can, I can watch this movie again right now is <laughs> how much fun I have watching this movie. So that's it. Finally, Equilibrium is as of this recording available on HBO max. That's it for today. Please join us next week where we check out mission impossible. The movie that started the never-ending movie series. Follow us on Twitter or TikTok at Backlick Cinema or on Facebook or Instagram at Backlick Cinema Podcast for updates. Don't forget you can contact us with any questions, comments, or suggestions at fanmail at backlickcinema.com. One last time, if you like this show, then please help us grow. You can do this by subscribing. You can subscribe to the show, rate us, write a review on Spotify, podchaser.com. Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. Believe me, it matters. Be safe. Share a movie from yesteryear with your family. Hug your loved ones. And if you're going to be anything, be outstanding. <laughs>